If you would be turning to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. If you've been with us the past few weeks, then you know that uh, Gerald has been taking a look at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And we've been focusing uh, the last couple of weeks on the Beatitudes. uh, And I have the pleasure of continuing there uh, in Matthew chapter 5. So if you would, let's begin reading, starting in verse 1. It says this, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's the one we're going to look at today. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. If you would, go ahead and close your eyes for just a second. Don't worry, I'll watch the road for us. I want you to think about somebody that you know that you consider to be meek. Maybe it's somebody who uh, is no longer with us. Maybe it's somebody that you're really close to now. Maybe it's somebody that you're not that close to. Just envision for a second that person. Put them in a setting, whether it's outside or inside. Maybe they're standing, walking, sitting, kneeling, whatever they might be doing. You can open your eyes. If you're like me, you may have envisioned somebody, like for me, it's personally, it's my great-grandfather. I envision this, you know, kind of frail, older gentleman that's meek and lowly, right? And for most of the time that I knew him, uh, he was actually in a nursing home. And so whenever I'd go and see him, he would just be sitting in his chair. Uh, But the reason I consider him as meek is not because he's just frail or anything like that, but because he's so humble, and he never wanted to impose on any one person. In fact, uh, it was kind of funny that he was the guy that would always end up with the worst roommates. And it was simply because the people at the nursing home knew, well, Brother Foster over there, they know he's, he's going to take care of them. He's not going to complain about anything. He's going to make sure that that person feels welcome and feels at home. And so in my mind, whenever I read this verse and I think, blessed are the meek, I can't help but think of my great-grandfather. And what a blessing that is. But the truth is, I don't know that this word, meek, necessarily has to do anything with frailty or weakness at all. In fact, the, the Greek word here is the word praus. I think I'm saying that correctly. If not, you can correct me later. The, the Greek word praus is actually uh, defined by war horses. Now, that may not make a whole lot of sense, but in the Greeks' culture, they would go up into the mountains, and they would go and they would find these wild horses, right? The strongest horses you can find. Like, this is, we have Miss Vicky here, right? The Wrangler out at Camp Deer Run, and I just think about the biggest horse that she'd always put me on because I'm a pretty big fella. But uh, I just think about these wild horses that they go out and they grab them and they bring them in and they try to tame them, right? And if they can train them, if they can tame them to be war horses, then they eventually call them prouse or meek. And the way that they describe that is simply that it's power under authority or rather strength under control. That's a bit of a different view of meek. I wonder if any of you maybe have thought about somebody who was a strong person but yet chose to keep their strength under control. 
See, when Jesus says this, he's actually describing, in some ways, himself, and in other ways, Moses. There's two people in Scripture that are described as meek. Moses, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And then Jesus tells us in Matthew 11 that he is meek and lowly at heart. Think about Moses and Jesus for a second. Even if you may not know a whole lot about either of them, you might be able to recognize that Moses and Jesus both are certainly not the type of people that you would consider weak. Jesus was literally a carpenter's son, right? He's pretty strong. Moses, before he fled Egypt, literally killed the guy. Pretty strong dude. These guys are not weak people, but yet they're strength under control. So much so that if you envision a horse going to war, right? This horse is running into battle. It has to be under control. It has to be meek enough to know that even though there's things going on all around it, there's just fire and there's bombs and all this stuff going on, the, the horse has to stay under control so it can keep its rider steady in the, in the field of battle. But I want us to look at this a slightly different way. We can certainly look at the Beatitudes in a way that's something to aspire to, right? I think it would be good of us to be you know, meek and lowly at heart, right? I think that's a good thing to aspire to, certainly in this context, of having our strength under control. Even though we have free will, we have the choice to do whatever in the world we want to do, we submit to God's authority, and that's a good thing. But I also want us to take the context of what Jesus is saying here. It says that he goes up on a mountainside and he sees all these people coming to him. And what are these people? They're the sick. They're the broken. They're the people that are looking for help. And the first thing that Jesus says to them is this word, blessed, right? As Gerald's talked about in the past, that word really means happy. Like, hey, happy are you. But I'd even go as far as to say that the word really means congratulations. Hey, congratulations to the poor in spirit. What? Yeah, congratulations to the poor in spirit. Not only you, but congratulations to those who mourn. That just doesn't sound right, does it? Congratulations to the meek. See, Jesus is basically making this initial interaction with these people. He's not necessarily calling us to live a certain way. He's saying to all of those who are poor in spirit, it's kind of like his ladies and gentlemen, listen to what I have to say. For those who are poor in spirit, listen up. For those who are mourning, listen, I got something for you. For those who are meek, oh boy, just wait for what I have for you. So as we read this, we recognize that it's an opener. It's his opening call, and he's really not giving us a list of things for us to become, in a way, Jesus is calling roll. He's saying, hey, one of these is going to fit you. Just look down that list of Beatitudes. One of those things will most likely fit your scenario. And he says, I'm here for all of you because my kingdom is about to change everything. So if we read it from that perspective, uh, I, I think this is a phenomenal line. Get your pens ready. This is not me. This is a friend of mine that I know. Uh, I listen to him a lot. His name's Trey Van Camp. But just listen to this. It's so good. He says, Jesus is not giving instructions for the steadfast. He is offering invitations to the outcast. I like that. That's so good. It gives me chills. I'll say it one more time. Jesus isn't giving instructions for the steadfast. 
he is offering invitations to the outcast. So he says, congratulations to those of you who are meek. In this case, I think it's probably appropriate for us to look at it from a way of what does the word meek mean to us today, normally? Well, the word meek, uh, by definition, means quiet, gentle, and easily imposed on. Not so strong there. This type of person, at every step of the way, is always last. They're the doormats of society. They're the ones that, because of their unimposing nature, it seems like everything just can't seem to go their way. They can't seem to catch a break. No matter what they do, they're in the wrong place at the wrong time, just a day late and a dollar short, right? For these people, Jesus says, blessed are you, congratulations to those of you who can't seem to get ahead in this life. He just got their attention. Say, that's, that's me. And what does he say to them? He, he goes on and he says, for they shall inherit the earth. My goodness. When I read that, being a 90s kid, I can't help but think of The Lion King, right? If you've ever seen that movie, I know they're making a new one. It looks all right. Hopefully it will be good. But whenever I think of this, I think of Mufasa sitting there at the top of Pride Rock with, with Simba, right? And James Earl Jones says, Simba, everything that the light touches, right? Is that pretty good? All right. All right, good. Might have a little job in the future there. But he says, everything that the light touches will be yours. This is what I have to offer you. So I don't think Jesus is necessarily saying like, hey, those of you who are meek, you're going to get everything you ever wanted. You're going to get this job that you like. You're going to get the girl or the boy that you like. You're going to have no problems moving forward. No, I think what he's saying is, hey, in my kingdom, you want the world? I'll give you the world. I'll give you more than you could imagine. That's where we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, if you'll turn there, that Jesus is describing, he's proclaiming his kingdom that is coming. This is the first chance that he gets to say, my kingdom is here. Those of you who are meek, those of you who seem like you can't get ahead, life just can't seem to go your way, listen up. This is what I have to say to you. We read in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. I'll get my Bible. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, lost my place. You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at that verse 4 again. To an inheritance that is imperishable, it's unfading, it's never going to end, it's undefiled. See, Jesus is offering to the meek of the world, to those who are suffering, He says, I'm giving you everything. Everything you could ever imagine, everything you could ever hope for, I'm giving you something. He says, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Now, the word for earth there really means land. And if you think about the Old Testament, there was a promise for land, was there not? See, God promised the people of Israel, he promised them the holy land, the new land. It's good, it's Canaan. Right, and just like they were promised Canaan, this, this worldly place, we're promised a land too, but it's, it's not of this world. Jesus offers us a land that is so much better. If you have ever seen the movie Holes, raise your hand. Okay, good. This will be new for a few of you. Disney made a movie a while back, and it's called Holes. Um, you might have a picture here. There it is. Shia LaBeouf and that kid. The story goes like this. This, this kid right here on the right, his name is Stanley Yelnats. And that is Stanley, spelled backwards, is Yelnats. So that's a key point for later, all right? Stanley goes, and it's just, this kid is the definition of meek, right? Nothing seems to go his way. He's pretty humble. He's just pretty unassuming, pretty quiet. But everything seems to go wrong for him, right? He says, even in the trailer, it's, I seem to always be in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? And that has never been more true than one day whenever he's walking under a bridge and these pair of cleats that were tied together come and fall seemingly out of the sky, hit him right in the head and knock him down. He stands up and he picks up the cleats and his dad is trying to find a cure for foot odor, right? And so he's like, ooh, those stink. So I'll take them to my dad. And so he starts running home. And as he's running home, the cops come and pull him over. He say, hey, what are you doing? You stole those cleats. And he's like, oh didn't steal the cleats. They hit me in the head, and they're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> right? They don't believe him. And so he gets in trouble, and he gets in, ends up getting sent to what they call Camp Green Lake. And it's essentially this lake that is completely dry. It's barren. And the reason that there's this camp there is it's a, basically a discipline camp where they send kids, and they go, and they make them dig holes all day out in the hot sun. Sounds like a good punishment, right? Good discipline there. Parents, there you go. But really, the truth is that the warden, the person in charge of this camp, is trying to find something. See, her ancestors have been trying to find this giant chest that was stolen, quote-unquote, from them, that had been buried out there. And the person was a, a rebel named Kissing Kate Barlow who had stole this money and had buried her treasure in this big chest. And she said, you'll dig and dig and you'll never find it, right? And so, Stanley winds up here. And he goes and he meets this kid, Zero. That's what they call him. They call him Zero because they think nothing's going on in his little bitty head. He doesn't say a whole lot. He's not really one to talk because he kind of just wound up there and nobody really even knows why. Well, Stanley shows up and they ask Stanley, Stanley, what are you in for? He said, man, I stole a pair of Clyde Livingston's cleats. He's like, no, you did not. And this kid, Zero, looks at him and says, do they have red X's on them? Everybody freaks out. They're like, whoa, you got zero to talk, right? Well, he's asking because the truth is zero had stolen the cleats earlier. But that's how Stanley ended up there. And the long story short, they go and they run away from the camp because they're tired of it. They can't get out of there. It's crooked. Uh, they're getting in trouble all the time. And they go and Stanley and his family think that all this bad stuff is happening to him because of his no good, dirty, rotten, pig-stealing great-great-grandfather. Say that one more time for you. That no good, dirty, rotten, pig-stealing, great-great-grandfather. That's, that's who's to blame for all of our woes, right? 
Some of you may have somebody in your family that you blame for your woes. It might be you, Dad. But this is the reason why he thinks everything's going horrible. And they decide, we're going to go back and we're going to search for this, this chest because Stanley had found something earlier on. He thinks he might know where it is. So they go and they start digging one night. And the warden, along with cops and everybody, comes and they say, what are you doing with my chest? They finally pull it out. And Stanley said to, or Zero says to Stanley, hey, Stanley, is your first name, your last name spelled backwards? Yeah, it is. So the warden says, oh, thank you. You found my chest. Thank you so much. It's mine. Thank you for getting it for me. I won't even press charges against you, all this, that, and the other. And Zero says, what are you doing? He says, no, this is Stanley's. She says, excuse me? That's kind of her line. Excuse me? Zero says, no, look, it has his name on it. It says, Stanley Yelnats. Turns out that that was Stanley's great-grandfather who had taken that money and he had stored it and he had gotten stolen by kissing Kate Barlow many years before. So why in the world am I telling you about a Disney Channel story, right? Doing a poor job of it, probably. The reason I'm telling you is because of this. If Zero hadn't have ever told Stanley, hey, that has your name on it, Stanley would have never gotten it. Stanley would have never found out that this chest was full of all this money that by inflation now is worth millions of millions of dollars. He would have had no idea that he actually was worth something. He would have gone on believing that he was in this poor, pitiful wretch. He was a cursed person because of his no-good, dirty, rotten, pig-stealing great-great-grandfather. See, here's the question for us this morning. Will you tell the meek about their inheritance that awaits them? There are meek in this world, and it may even be you. There are meek in this world that are unassuming. At every step of the turn, it seems like things don't go their way. Jesus is telling them, hey, I have an inheritance for you. The sad part is they just don't know it yet. Are you willing to tell someone, hey, Jesus has an inheritance for you. There are people in this world who live each and every day, like it's a new one, just hoping that maybe this day will be a little bit better than the last, right? They live their lives and they never can seem to get ahead. It seems like life is standing over them and it has its boot on their throat and they can't seem to get a breath of fresh air and they're looking for an ounce of hope. I'm here to tell you this morning, church, we have the hope they're looking for. Congratulations to the meek. Congratulations to you because you have a Father in heaven who loves you, who wants nothing more than the best for you. He wants to offer you this promise of a land that you can inherit one day that is unperishable, it is perfect, it's undefiled. The question for us this morning is, are we willing to tell them? Are we willing to share it with the meek? There are plenty of them out there. And they're sitting there wondering, why in the world am I suffering this way? It must be my dirty, no good, big stealing great-great-grandfather, right? We have a message for them. It's simply this. The world is a fallen place. We are all sinners who are saved by the blood of Christ, by grace, through our faith in Jesus. That's our message, that Jesus, a man, 
God in the form of man came to this earth and he lived a perfect life for us. And he died on a cross, a gruesome death. He was buried and three days later he rose from the dead so that we can have a hope of eternal life with him. We have a hope of an inheritance that is imperishable. If that's not encouraging to you this morning, I don't know what can be. My prayer is that you will go, that you will share this message with anyone who needs it.